If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Galatians chapter number 2. Galatians chapter number 2. And we're going to continue the series that we've started a few weeks ago. As we're studying this, this letter of Paul to the church in Galatia, we've been going uh, verse by verse. We started in chapter 1. We're now going to be finishing chapter 2 this morning and just kind of studying uh, what this letter has to teach us about our Christian life and how we can apply God's Word in a way that's practical, in a way that makes a difference in our lives. And uh, as we're doing that, and as we're getting prepared, as we're turning to Galatians chapter 2, I do want to say that uh, and ask if you would be in prayer for uh, Michael and Michelle Rios. Usually they sit right here around the second or third row. And uh, yesterday they, they were in a car accident uh, with, their, with their children. They have two, uh, two kids, their, their daughter Kristen and uh, their son Michael. And uh, thankfully the kids were, were not injured, but uh, Michael, they, they, it was a matter of the right of way and this other car kind of did not yield. And they and it hit them on the side, and Michael's side was, was hitting, hurting pretty bad. And uh, Michelle ended up having a, a hairline fracture uh, on, on her uh, left shoulder. And so uh, just pray for them as, uh, as, as you think about it throughout this week, that God would just help them recover quickly. Uh, they were going to try to make it this morning. I talked with them last night, and, and I said, well, let's, let's talk in the morning and see how you feel. Uh, the, the adrenaline sometimes makes us feel a little bit better than we really are. So I talked to them this morning, and they, of course they woke up a little bit sore, so uh, they decided to stay home and rest, and I think they're probably watching on the live stream. But be, uh, be praying, uh, praying for them uh, that God would just help them to recover quickly, and uh, get, they, they were excited to get back into church, and so uh, pray for them if you would. Galatians chapter number 2 and we're, we're going to finish the last five verses, verse 17 down to verse 21. But before we jump into that, I do want to just kind of remind you where we've been. Just a brief summary. In, uh, in chapter 1, Paul kind of gives us what the letter is going to be about. Uh, Paul was being attacked for the mission that he had in his life. Paul was being attacked for the message that he was preaching of the gospel. And he was being attacked about the ministry that he was doing for God. And right from the outset in chapter 1, he kind of summarizes, here, here's what this letter is going to be about, and let me get into it. So the first few verses are just giving you the summary. Then as we studied going really from verse 6 and on, he kind of gets into uh, how each, each, um, each area, whether it's the mission of his life or the message of the gospel that he's preaching or the ministry, how it's being attacked and how he's responding uh, to what those attacks are. And, uh, and so as we've been going through the, the letter, that's what we have been finding, right? Uh, in that chapter one, he really focuses on his mission uh, of being an apostle. People are questioning him. And now, can you believe this? Now the church, the people that, this is the church he started. These are people he led to Christ. Now they're questioning whether he really gave them the true gospel. Uh, I'm sure that uh, Paul was dealing with all kinds of emotions when he's writing this letter. And yet we found that by the, by the filling of the Holy Spirit in his life, he's, he's answering these, uh, these attacks in a way that's not mean, that's not hateful or vengeful. He's just kind of telling them, this is why the mission that I have is from God. When you get to chapter 2, he's defending his message the message of the gospel. And what we've studied already is 
that he says, look at the, uh, the apostles in the church of Jerusalem, when I went and told them this is the gospel that I am preaching, they said, right on, you're right, that is the, the right gospel, that is the true gospel. And then, as we studied last week, when he, when he shares the story of what happened in, in the city of Antioch, another church that uh, Paul was a part of, and, and Peter came and really wasn't living according to the gospel in his life, then, uh, then Paul had to kind of call his attention and say, uh, Peter, what, what you're living, what you're doing, doesn't reflect what you've been preaching and what you believe. And, uh, and, and gives them that loving correction and, and concludes with, uh, Peter, the life that you're living uh, is, is giving the message that we are made right before God according to what we do. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we are justified, we're, we're declared righteous by God because of what Jesus did. The works of the law, by doing good works, it doesn't help you in any way with God. God, God doesn't play favorites. He's not the teacher that says, oh, you know, I'm always going to call on this kid because he's always paying attention, doing so good in class. God's not like that. God says the only way that you can be declared righteous is through my son. So if you humble yourself and you put your faith in Jesus, then I'll declare you righteous. Other than that, by your works and good, by the good things you do, you'll never uh, be righteous before God. That's what we ended at in verse number 16. So let's pick it up in verse number 17 as he continues. So Galatians 2 verse 17, he says this, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build up again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Well, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. What is the Apostle Paul trying to say as he closes out this section about the message of the gospel? What is it that, that we need to learn from these five verses that we can apply into our life? And, and if I could just kind of sum it up in three words, it's the justified life. Paul has talked about how we become justified, that the message of the gospel is justification with God being declared righteous by God. And he's saying, now that you've been declared righteous by God, you ought to live a life that reflects being justified. What I'm calling the justified life. Now, we're all, those that have accepted Christ as their Savior, been justified by God. We are called to live the justified life and not a religious life. Now, there's a huge difference between a justified life and a religious life. There's a stark contrast between both of them. One is defined by the good works that you do. That's the religious life. That's why religions always focus on what we do. And it's amazing because it's every religion that does that. Not just uh, religions that have the Bible, false religions that use the word of God, but every religion. 
I, I was reading a, a book last week of uh, the, the Nike company. Uh, Phil Knight was kind of uh, giving his memoirs. He's the founder of the uh, Nike company. And uh, it was published in 2016. But near the end of the book, he kind of talks a little bit about it. And he talks how he uh, traveled all over Asia and uh, really all over the world when he was 24, uh, just to kind of find himself, he says. And uh, he practiced uh, and learned a little bit about Buddhism and Zenism and uh, different other uh, faiths as he went through Asia and the Middle East and, and even in Africa. He learned a little bit about the Muslim faith, and he was raised in a uh, Lutheran church. And so uh, he talked a little bit about all that he had learned. And, and what's amazing to me is, is that when he talks about all of these different religions, he always focuses on what he thinks we should do. And religion always does that. In fact, he concluded, well, it seems like we're all, you know, kind of on the same path looking to do these good works. So religion, you know, no matter which one you're on, it's really all the same. The message of the gospel by Paul is, no, religion and a life that is justified by Christ is not the same. In fact, it's very, very different. Religion, yes, looks at good works, looks at what you do. The justified life looks at what Christ did. It focuses on the work of Christ, not on my work. It's a very different focus. It's a very different understanding of who we are. The, the, the religious person will focus on themselves. They'll find their identity in themselves and they'll say, you know, uh, to find true peace, you've got to find the inner divine in you. Now that sounds really cool and mystical and nice. It's a really nice word of saying, you just got to be a little more selfish. Just focus on you a little bit more. Because at the end, I mean, that's what you, if you just work on yourself and look at yourself, then you're really going to find enlightenment. But the gospel message says, take your eyes off of yourself. There's nothing good there. Put your eyes on Jesus and what he did. The justified life has a focus of Jesus, not a focus of me. You know, when you really get down to it on the practical side, the religious life and the justified life, you, you, can, you can almost describe it in just the way they live it out. I, I found this uh, between, it was, a, it was a contrast that was being made between when something is a job and something is a ministry. And if I could say it this way, when something is, is the result of a religious life, which would be a job, and when something is the result of a justified life, which would be a walk with Christ, new life in Christ, that's ministry. What you do for Christ, with your eyes on Christ and through Christ, that's ministry. And notice what this, uh, what this article said. It says, if you're doing uh, a job because no one else will, then it's a job. If you're doing it to serve the Lord, it's a ministry. If you're doing it just well enough to get by, then it's a job and really religious. If you're doing it to the best of your ability, it's a ministry. If you'll do it only so long as it doesn't interfere with other activities, then it's a job and religion. If you're committed to staying with it, even when it means letting go of other things, it's probably a ministry. If you quit because no one praised you or thanked you, it was a job and religious. If you stay with it, even though no one seems to notice, it's a ministry. If you do it because someone else said that it needs to be done, it's probably a job. If you're doing it because you're convinced it needs to be done, it's a ministry. 
It's hard to get excited about a job, but it's almost impossible not to get excited about a ministry. If your concern is success, it's a job and religious. If your concern is faithfulness, it's a ministry and the result of a justified life. People may say, well done when you do your job. The Lord will say, well done when you complete your ministry. Then it ends with this. The average church is filled with people doing jobs and religion. A great church is filled with people who are performing a ministry in a justified life. Paul ends this section describing and teaching us what is that justified life. I mean, if someone at work were to say, so what does your religion teach? And you say, well, it's not really a religion. We have a relationship with Christ and, you know, he's, he's everything to me. He's my savior and he's my friend. He's the one I run to and the one I look to. He's my redeemer, but he's also my judge. It's a relationship that I have with Jesus. It's not really a religion. It's a little bit different than that. It's a life that's it's a justified life. Well, how would you describe that to him if he says, then what do you mean? What is a justified life? That's what Paul is really concluding here. As he's been explaining the difference, he makes it really clear in these last five verses. So let's look at it quickly in the next 15 minutes or so. Let's look at what this justified life looks like. Notice if you in verse 17 and 18 that he starts with the implications of being justified through Christ. He had been talking with Peter and saying, look, Peter, what you're doing, you're implying some things by not living what you're preaching. When you started to get away from the Gentile believers, right? First, you were eating with them. They were your friends. You were getting along. And suddenly, when you separated from them because you were scared of what other people were going to say, now your teaching and your preaching were, were different from the way you were living. So he says, you need to get back, Peter, to the justified life. The implications of the justified life is this. As he's thinking about what happened in Antioch, what Peter was to learn, he says this, the implications of the justified life is that we no longer are bound to the law. We're no longer bound to the law. So Paul makes this point by, by inferring that if Christ really justified us, all right, and not the law, so here's what the Judaizers were teaching. Hey, you want to get right with God? You've got you to keep His commandments. You don't keep His commandments, you're no longer right with God. That's why, you know, you've got to do this, 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 and this. You, you know, maybe you've heard this before where it's like, you've you got to fulfill these five things, and then God will be okay with you. I mean, if you stop going to church, lightning will strike you, right? That's not what the Bible teaches, and that's not who God is. I love Brother Eric's message last week. If you were here last week, he says, you know, sometimes we think, oh, oh God's just taking out his punishment, and his wrath on me through my kids. And he's allowing that to happen because he's mad at me. God doesn't do that. It doesn't work that way. So what are the implications of a justified life? He says, the first thing is we're no longer bound to the law. So we aren't justified by the law. The law couldn't do that. It just condemned us. So here's, here's what he's saying. Peter, we were telling people, all right, we grew up with the law. We told people, you can't be justified that way. You need somebody, you need a savior to, 
to forgive you of, for breaking that law. You need someone else to pay the penalty for the law you broke. And we tell them it's Jesus. Now, if we seek Jesus, that's what he's saying. So if we seek Jesus to be justified by him, we ourselves are found sinners if is therefore Christ the minister of sin. Here's what he's saying. Christ forgave us, right? The law didn't. Christ gave us new life. The law didn't. So then, Peter, how can you say it's wrong now to sit with the Gentiles? The law said you couldn't do that. But the law didn't save you. The law didn't change you. So if you do that, then now you're saying, well, then the law does save you. Now you are saying then what Christ did to justify you was not enough. You need a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of religion. Do you know there are churches that teach that? There are churches that say, yes, yes, you can accept Jesus as your Savior, but then you got to do this and this and this. If not, God won't like you anymore. You might even lose your salvation. Uh, you, you need to start following all the commandments of the Old Testament because if you don't do that, then God's not happy with you. You see, what Jesus did on the cross isn't enough. It's Jesus and a little bit more. And so here's what Paul was saying. Okay, Peter, if that's true, then when Jesus saved us, what he's telling us to do is go break the law because he said, sit down with sinners, love them. So now Jesus is teaching us to break the law. So he's like, he's the number one lawbreaker. Jesus is the one that said that we need to love others. Love the Gentile world. He, he told Peter, Peter, he told you, don't call unclean what I have cleansed. I think it's okay for you to eat that. The, the law no longer applies to you. But if you make it apply to you, then Jesus is the one that's telling you to sin. Now, Peter, does that sound right to you? Can Jesus tell people to sin? Is that what Jesus' character is? If Jesus himself is a sinner, how can he save us? Doesn't make sense, does it? That's, that's the implication of the justified life. Hey, listen, the law no longer, we're not bound to that anymore. Uh, that's why in... Matthew chapter 9 from verse 10 to verse 13, it says, And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? That was the Pharisees. That was the religious was going, whoa, 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 whoa. Be careful. Look what you're doing. So Paul's saying, if you've been justified, the justified life no longer is required to follow this law. We've been redeemed from that law. We've been forgiven from breaking that law. We've been declared righteous, not because we kept that law so good, but because Christ did and he died for us. He paid the penalty of us breaking the law. So he says, okay, Peter, so the implication is if that's not true, if, if Christ dying for us was not enough and we have to have religion, then Christ is making everyone else sin. Now, is that true? That's why he says, God forbid. No, 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 no. So what's the second implication that he gives us? We are no longer to build up the law in verse 18. Because that's true, we can't build the law up. In other words, Peter, you can't get 
redeemed and justified by God and said, hey, the law condemned us. We need somebody to, the, to pay the price. Oh yeah, Jesus paid the price for, for us and justified us. Now we can't go back to the law then. We, we, we can't go back to, okay, we can't eat with Gentiles. We can't eat that. We can't do that. Because now we're building up. In other words, we're, we are confessing then, Jesus isn't enough, we do need the law. So Peter, which one is it? Is it all Jesus or is it the law? Which one is it? Is the justified life found in Jesus or is it found in what we do? Because it can't be both. Both contradicts one another. If it's both, then it makes Jesus the greatest sinner. Because Jesus told us to break the law and he himself broke the law. Can't do it. That's the implication. We're no longer, Paul says, to, to do that. We, we must admit that justification is not by faith, it is by faith alone in Christ alone. Now, I want to be clear real quick about this interpretation here of this. When we're talking about the law, I'm talking about a system, all right? In the Old Testament, as we've gone over, there's a system, right? You, you sin, you do this. You give this uh, offering, this, the, you kill the, the bull, you kill the lamb, take it the sin offering, get the guilt offering, put it on the altar. There was a system for it, right? But the law can also be a standard, okay? A standard that we live by. Standards and systems are not the same, okay? So, for instance, the Ten Commandments, you know that they're all repeated in the New Testament by Jesus, except one, and that is the Fourth Commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's why we don't, we don't have services on Saturdays. There are some churches that do. There's a branch actually that came out of the Baptist movement over 100 years ago called the Seventh-day Adventists. And they have on Saturdays. You say, well, why do they have it on Saturdays? Because they want to follow some of what the Old Testament says. We don't find that. In fact, you find in the New Testament that Christians got together on the first day of the week, Sunday. That's why we have church on Sunday. Because we're not bound to the law anymore. We're not trying to build up that law. But we use the law as a standard in our life, right? It's just a good practice not to be lying. It's a good practice not to kill, right? Not to murder. Do not murder, it says. That's, that's the sixth commandment. Number seven, don't commit adultery. That's just a, you know, that's a good standard to live by. You don't lose your salvation if you break that. Because you never got saved by keeping that. That's what Paul is saying. The implications are we're not bound to the law anymore. We don't build up the law anymore. I want you to notice the second thing about the justified life, and that is the reality of justification through Christ. So Paul goes on to verse number 19, and he shares what actually happens when we go to Christ for justification by grace through faith. He says, first of all, I died to the law. Verse 19, for I through the law am dead to the law. Now the thought is this, that Paul is communicating. When viewing the law, he found that all it could do was condemn him to death. Look at Romans 3.20. I put it in your notes. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, by the works of doing those commandments, there shall no flesh be declared righteous before God. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law, all it could do was tell me, you're a lawbreaker. You're sinful. And you know how sinful? Well, keep reading the laws and just you can count how many you've broken and that tells you just how bad you are. By the way, Jesus says if you're uh, guilty of one, you're guilty of all of them. So 
You, you can't be like, well, I'm mostly good. I mean, I've, I've kept like three out of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus said, if you broke one, you broke all ten. Right? You're guilty of all ten. So the reality of the justification through Christ is this. I had to die to the law. All right? The, the law is not something that can give me life. And what they were teaching was the law can give you life. The Pharisees and the Judaizers were saying to people there in Galatia, hey, Christ isn't everything, okay? He's good, but add it to your religion. Now you've got to be, be following all these laws so you can stay right with God. That's not true. And by the way, in today's world, if we're not careful, we can become very religious. Even as a Baptist church, yes. Even as Christians, yes. Even as Christians. Even as people that have put our faith in Christ, we can become Peter. And start going back to, well, we've got to do this, got to do this. And if you don't do it, man, God don't love you. It's not the way God works. That's not the justified life. We're not as Christians, I'm not as a Christian to sit here and go, man, let me see what Fabian's doing in his life. Let me see what he's doing wrong. You know, he broke this commandment. You know what I heard and I saw his Facebook and he broke this commandment too. And he broke. That's not what a Christian's to do. That's not a justified life. That's maybe a self-justified life. You know, when we want to make, make ourselves feel better, that's what we do, right? We compare. Yeah, yeah, I'm bad, but I ain't as bad as that guy. You know who did that? Um, oh, yeah, Pharisees. He said, God, I so, when they prayed, they said, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like that publican. <laughs> Jesus said, when I looked at the publican, he didn't even lift his eyes up. He just said, God, have mercy on me. The justified life isn't looking to judge everyone else because they've unhooked themselves there from the law. They're not bound to the law. They're not trying to build up the law again. They died to the law. And then he says in verse 19, so that I might live unto God. So I live to Christ. Notice that this life, according to Paul, happened in the moment that the law was dead to him. First, he said, I had to die to the law. I had to recognize the law can't help me with God. It can't justify. It can't make me right. And the moment I did that and asked Christ to be my Savior, to justify me, now I was alive unto God. <laughs> There's the process there. He had to die totally to the law so that Christ could be his justification in totality. There is no partiality in it. It was an all or nothing kind of proposition. So it's kind of foolish to go back. That's why in Philippians chapter 3, I put this in your notes. Philippians chapter 3, when, when, when Paul was talking to the Christians at Philippi, he said, but what things were gained to me, the reason he says what things were gained to me, he was a Pharisee, Paul, in his life. He said, I used to do this. I used to persecute Christians. Because they were giving this message that Christ could make them, could make them righteous. And no, 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 no. You've got to become a follower of our law. If you're, if you're breaking our law, then you can never be right with God. And he said, I used to persecute people. And he said, and I used to think I was so good. I was gaining in life. I was going up in my religion. I was somebody. He said, but now those I count loss for Christ. Yet doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, whenever we go back to lean on our good works as a measuring stick of our holiness, we make a mockery and shame of the justification given to us by Christ. And maybe I'm talking to 
some of us that just kind of grew up in church because this tends to affect us more. But we want to use our good works as a measuring stick. Oh, I'm holier than them. I'm more, I am more, I'm so much more spiritually mature than these people over here. <laughs> Whenever you're using that, can I tell you, you're putting shame to Christ and his work. There's a saying that some theologians use, and that is, the ground is level at the cross. You're not more spiritually greater than someone else because you're so holy and you've kept all these things. Listen, any holiness we have is Christ's holiness in us. That's why at the end of this letter, Paul's going to tell them, listen, don't glory in anything else but in Christ. Because the moment that you start glorying in how good you are, you're putting a mockery and a shame to what he did. And a justified life does not do that. Live the justified life. That's the reality of it. Number three, real quick, the practicality of this life is seen in verse number 20. And this is one of the most exciting verses, I think, in the Bible. Because it kind of gives us where the rubber meets the road. This is where like theory is put to test and applied. The justified life is manifest in our lives through Christ. In verse number 20, by this way, look what it says. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The first practical truth that we get out of this, of the justified life, is that I live in the power of Christ. There's a realization here that we must all have when examining our justification. And the realization is what happens spiritually when we believe by faith in the work of Christ alone. And that first thing is that Christ's work is applied to me. So his death becomes my death. Romans chapter 6, I put that in your notes. Spiritually, this is what Paul is saying. This is what happened. I'm crucified with Christ. The justification of Christ means that his life is applied to me, so I'm in him and he's in me. That means when he died, I died. Look at Romans 6 verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized, and that word means to be immersed, those that are in Christ were baptized or in his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism in, in, into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul said, okay, when Christ died, you died. If you've been justified by Christ, when he died, you died. Now, the reason of his death is not the same reason of your death. He died to pay for your sin. Your death was to pay for that sin. By the way, if you say, well, I want to pay for my own sin. Great. You can pay for your own sin. It's called an eternity of condemnation. I actually met a guy when I was sharing this truth that said, well, I don't like anyone else paying my debts. I'm going to pay it. I said, it doesn't seem very, very smart, but everyone makes their own decisions. If you want to pay your own debt, pay your own debt. I'm one that happens to think I'm thankful for people that want to help me out. I'm thankful that there's a God that sent his son so I don't have to pay that debt. 
But Paul said, when Jesus died there, I died too. When Jesus rose from the grave, I rose too. Spiritually, that happened. The moment he died, I died. The moment he rose again with new life is the reason we say we have new life in Christ. Because we were with him. We were with him when he died. We were with him in his resurrection. The power I didn't have before to do certain things or to quit certain habits is found in that. Have you ever met somebody that says, I, I, man, I'd like to be a Christian, but I just know if I become a Christian, you know, then I got to quit, you know, smoking and drinking and doing this and doing that. And I just, I don't think I can. I say, first of all, the power to change in the Christian life is not found in you. It ain't. So you'll never be able to do it anyway. You're right. I tell them, you're absolutely right. You'll never be able to change. The secret to the Christian life isn't in me changing me. It's in Jesus changing me. That's the secret. So the power that you didn't have before, you might say, man, I, I've been trying to quit lying. I've been lying too much. I lied to my boss. I lied to my wife. I, I, I'm trying to stop lying. Listen, you'll never be able to do it until Jesus is all in you. And through his power, he'll help you to stop lying. He'll help you to stop cursing. He'll, he'll help you to be different because you're living in his power. That's why Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm alive. Well, not me, per se, but Christ in me. I have a power that I didn't have before. That's the practicality of just, justification. You can change. Not on your own, though. That's why you need Jesus to justify you. But notice the second practicality, and that is, I live in the purpose of Christ. That second phrase, look at the second phrase. He says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, in other words, in my body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that I live moving forward is a life of imitating Christ and following his example, following his faith. He says, the life I now live is by the faith of the Son of God. In other words, I just got to follow and imitate Jesus' faith. That's, that's what the Christian life, that's what the justified life does. I died with Christ, and when he raised, he raised with new power, and he's given me that power so I can change and I can be different. And with that power, now I have a new purpose. I can walk forward. John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus saith, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. What was Jesus' faith? To do God's will. What is our faith? To do God's will. And we have the power to do it. That's what Paul is saying. The practicality of justification is now you can do what God is asking you to do. And the Old Testament says, hey, thou shalt not lie. You say, but how can I help but not lie? I mean... You know, what are the circumstances? And, and I found in my life that sometimes if it suits me a lie, I'll tell it. I, I just, I'm not perfect that way. Now with Christ, you don't have to lie. He gives you the power to live a life without lying. Now, every moment that we're living by Christ's power, you won't be lying. If you catch yourself lying and you've been justified, you catch yourself lying, it's because you're not living in his power. Jesus said, with me, everything is possible. You can change your life by my faith. 
Follow my faith. Imitate. Do God's will. I give you the power to do it. That's the practicality of this truth. Our purpose changes. And this purpose includes how I treat people, how I love others, how I think about issues facing me, what I talk about, who I listen to, where I go out, how I work, and so many other purposes. That's the reality of the justified life. You can do it now. Let's wrap this up with the last point, the sufficiency of justification, verse 21. He says, then I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. In that verse, Paul gives us two great reminders of the justified life. He tells us, hey, look, we've seen, first of all, what the implications of it are. We've seen the reality of it. We've seen practically how it works. So let me just give you the last thing, and this is the sufficiency of it. Why you can count on it over and over and over and over and over again for the rest of your life, and it's this. Number one, this reminder is that God's grace should be appreciated. The word frustrate here is a Greek word, atheteo, which means to disesteem or disannul or violate, to cast off, to despise. So Paul was saying, when we look at our good works as something more than just Christ living in us, then we are casting off the grace of God. And we're putting on the pridefulness of the devil in our life. So, so if you say, man, I've changed. Since I've, since I've been saved, man, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking the, the way I used to talk, and I'm not doing what I used to do, and I'm not thinking the way I used to think. And if you think you're such a good person because of that, then you're just prideful. And you're casting away the grace of God. Paul says, just remember, you know why you're, you know why you're like that? Because, God just, because Jesus justified you, that's why. So if there's anything good in us, it's not because of us, it's because of what was done for us. By the way, that'll keep you humble. It'll remind you that you're not as great of a Christian as you think you are. You're only as great as Christ has made you to be. Living in that truth and appreciating that is the secret to joy in your life. Paul said comparing yourself with other people is not wise. It leads you to being discontented and ungrateful. So that's why Paul says, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to frustrate the grace of God. I'm not going to cast it off. I'm not going to... No, no, no. It's the grace of God that made me who I am. And then I want you to notice a second reminder. And that is God's grace is all that is needed. He said, if not, if it were by the law, if it were by what we do, if it was by our good works, then Jesus died for nothing. He didn't need to die. You just need to be a better person and change. But that's not right. Religion can't do it. Only Christ can. As humans, our tendency is to live a life of religion instead of a life that is justified. What the Bible teaches about the justified life, though, it's a life that recognizes who Christ is and what he did. It's a life that recognizes without it, I'd be no one but a lawbreaker. And I would deserve only the wrath of God. That's it. 
but a justified life sees who Christ did and what he did, who he is and what he did. And recognizes, I don't have power to change, but Christ gave me the power to change. And that's all I need. Just him. Over the last two years, we, we learned about these machines called uh, respirators. And when you think about it, there's only one thing that you can do when you're put on a respirator. One thing you can do, and that is cooperate with the machine. The respirator there does all the work. You're having trouble breathing, so they hook you up to a respirator that helps you to begin to intake oxygen and exhale the carbon dioxide and and helps you to breathe. Now, it's your mouth and your nose that are being used, but it's the machine that's doing the work. Because if you disconnect the machine, you can't breathe and you're having trouble with your respiratory system. The respiratory machine does the work through you. The justified life is living the Christian life through Christ. Yeah, it's my mouth. Yeah, it's my nose. It's my words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's Christ giving me the power to do that. He's the respiratory machine for our Christian walk. So I guess this morning... I guess my challenge to you is just cooperate. Living the justified life is just cooperating. That's the message. Don't look at your own good works and think that you're something when you're not. It was Christ's work. What was Peter's mistake that Paul was trying to remind him? Peter, you're not that great, man. You you found Christ because the law couldn't do nothing for you. So leave the law back there. Start looking to Christ and start living through the power of Christ. It's a different kind of life. It's a justified life. And it takes you away from religion and these rules and regulations and it takes you into a relationship of recognizing who really is in control of my life and who I'm focused on. It's just the respiratory machine of the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and father i know that this message might have been one that went a little bit more into detailed of what you have done for us but father when we see that justification when we see what really you did oh father may it move in our hearts and our minds to a heart of humility to say it's not me and it's never been me and it's never going to be me, but you. It is you that has given me a new identity. It's you that has given me new power. It's you that has given me a new purpose in life. And I don't want to be ungrateful for that. I don't want to give the message to others that there's some sort of me in all of this because it's none of me and it's all of you. And so easily, Father, we let religion be the best of us in our walk with you. And we can let pride creep into our lives and we can start comparing ourselves with others and telling ourselves we are a lot better than than we really are. Forgive us for that. 
Help us to see that a justified life is a life that just kind of follows your faith. It's a life that keeps our eyes on Christ and does all to honor and glorify you in your power and in your purposes. Help us not to frustrate your grace today. Help us to live the justified life. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.